Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What's the relationship between drugs, even prescription medications, and paranormal awareness? What are shadow people? Was or is Mothman good or bad? Hello and welcome to the 721st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. I'm Ben and those uh, very questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal and father uh, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show, uh, but our guest, usual guest co-host Shane Searway is unable to join us today, uh, sadly, so we, he will be missed. But he'll be back uh, for the open line show on uh, January 21st. Meanwhile, we welcome your calls and emails during the show. Numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or uh, 766-1240 uh, here in the local listening area. And don't forget, Paul, BehindTheParanormal.com for emails if you're a little, a little too shy to go on the radio. Okay. All right, let's dive right in here. Uh, <clears throat> we have a uh, an email here. It's rather lengthy, but it's interesting. Uh, from Adam <clears throat> on the Isle of Wight, uh, England's uh, lovely Isle of Wight. Uh, and Ben, if you would uh, start maybe down there in that second paragraph. Wow, you're right. This is long. <laughs> All right, well... Uh, I'll take it one step at a time. Yeah, I guess the only way to start is from the beginning. Uh uh, what I wanted to uh, run by you was something uh, that happened to me while uh, in the hospital last March. I was there unexpectedly after a chronic condition uh, went crazy, and I, I was told I need major surgery and I could be dead within a week. Obviously, I chose to live, and after a six-hour a six operation, all went well. I was recovering nicely, and into the second week of my stay, I had already discovered that uh, the pain relief drug... Um, Tramadol uh, affected me badly, causing me to experience auditory hallucinations, um, which uh, to me seemed real. As a conversation with my other half, uh, Elaine, uh, indeed before we uh, found out what the problem was, she thought I was losing my marbles. Later we found out that the drug is not uh, tolerated by some people and cause, can cause visual and auditory hallucinations. In my case, I'd heard a detailed plot uh, to do away with me that seemed so real I was uh, out of bed four times trying to face the conspirators. Uh, but that is uh, not the bit I wanted to ask you about. It's what came then um, next. A few days later, uh, clear of uh, tramadol, I got an infection. Uh, this resulted in a high temperature and medical assistance uh, being required in the middle of the night. This time I had uh, visual hallucinations. The uh, four bed ward... Um, or the yeah, the four bed were tripled in size. Uh, my bed was in a man-made shape, like angled pit, and a uh, gale was blowing through an open window. And I had a very strong impression some something out of direct sight, exerting subtle influence in the hospital staff. Uh, they were only uh, peripherally aware of this effect. Uh, what it boiled down to was uh, they would be rewarded for doing evil, uh, but it had to be their uh, choice alone. Thankfully, all of them chose to do the right thing, uh, but I could still feel the presence, which now seemed to me as if it was a uh, very confident male appearing to be of uh, late middle age, but actually much older. It, but it was not a man or even human. Uh, how I knew this, I have no idea. Eventually, as my temperature returned to normal, um, everything assumed its uh, normal size and uh, shape. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the presence faded, I, I slept a while, and awoke to uh, a bright spring morning, feeling okay, and everything uh, looking as it should. 
I felt completely calm. Uh, it was then that the uh, craziest thing happened. And, uh, inc- Ancular? Oh, jeez. My, I, my, my, uh, well, uh, this is the straight email, so I don't know. There might be errors. No, uh, whichever. Or didn't print properly or something. So let's just say the hospital worker came in, who I knew to be a kind young man, uh, entered the ward and began to walk toward the patient uh, in the bed opposite mine. As I watched, not really interested, his form seemed to flicker and change, shock- shockingly so. Mostly it was his face, uh, which had become a distorted version of itself, like an evil mask. Uh, he appeared to have a, a sh- like short, stubby horns coming out of his forehead. At this moment, I felt that I knew three things. Instantly and without a doubt, one, I was seeing a demon. Two, I was absolutely repulsed and uh, mortally afraid. Three, if it uh, if it knew I'd seen it, uh, I would be in trouble. I let my eyes slide away casually as I could uh, look uh, as as I could to uh, look elsewhere. And the next time uh, I dared to glance, the guy entire was entirely normal again. The incident only took seconds, but it was very real. So, uh, was it lingering effects of a traumatic night, or do you think I actually saw something supernatural? Uh, if so, was there a specific purpose, or just passing through? Uh, no one on on the ward uh, came to harm. All I know uh, for sure is that uh, if I uh, never see something like that again, it will. Uh, if I never see something like that again, it will be too soon. Take care, Adam. Okay. Well, thank you, Adam. It's most interesting. However, uh, interesting as it is, it is also very, very common. And the que- there are, there's an essential question here. Regardless of what causes an altered state of consciousness or, or, or altered state of awareness, uh, is it happening in our minds because of medications or whatever? Uh, or, regardless of the cause, is it causing us to see worlds or blendings of worlds that are really there, and it's not all in our mind. Or maybe, it <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Ben? Well, I mean, you know, it's like, um, uh, was it doc- Dr. Lloyd Pye with the God Helmet? Yes. You no, know? no, no, no that, the doc- Dr. P- uh, Pye was uh, someone else. Um, Who's the God Helmet then? Why can't I remember? Oh, uh, from Sudbury, Ontario. Um, oh, heck, I can't remember. He got, I, I have an excuse, I'm really old, but you... I mean, I'm, uh, I'm you know... Well, I like that back anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my I was essentially just going to say, you know, j- just because it's it's neurons and stuff firing around your brain yeah. doesn't mean it's not real. That's what he said. Yeah. You know, I think eminent I, neuro uh, neuroscientist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that it's it's sort of a, a long well, a, a shortcut to um, you know a, a multi multiversal like mind mindset or state. You know, like it's like it's like knocking knocking down a door. Rather than you know, making the key and then opening the door, uh, like you know, after years and years of spiritual study and discipline, you know, people will get to that point, and this is just like knocking down the door and just running on through and seeing what's on the other side. And what's on the other side, you may not want to know. Well, perhaps not, but of course, th- there's another another level to this, uh, taking it even higher in a way. Uh, the orderly, uh, kind person, as Adam points out. Uh, he sees him as a, uh, a negative or a demonic or parasitical figure walking toward this uh, other patient. So the question is, why is that? You know, wh- whether you're seeing an altered state of the world or another world or whatever you're imagining, why would this person appear to be something else? And, and this 
if it's what it appears to be, and if it was not in Adam's mind, the question arises. Uh, the question arises that, that we have brought up a number of times, uh, particularly in cases of um, uh, bonding with parasites, uh, or even uh, the cases that what what is traditionally considered uh, possession and exorcism. At and our interpretation of that, which is at some point in the multiverse, which is made up of every possible world, and this is apparently real, uh, concrete reality, uh, that you are, we, we are each other at some point, it's sort of one great big consciousness of which there are individual manifestations, which are ourselves, or the parasites, or aliens, or whatever, or, or critters of whatever kind, because all things are possible. Uh, so perhaps... Uh, Adam, uh, seeing this orderly come across the room, saw him as he would be in a parallel world, which would be a figure, uh, perhaps not necessarily parasitical or demonic, but a figure that might be so alien to us that we would consider it demonic, or or totally alien or totally foreign, or something that we would be afraid of. Yes, yeah, And it might not be you. that at all. But the point being that uh, we are in all sorts of forms, in all sorts of manifestations, in all sorts of facets all over the multiverse, if these theories are true, and we see uh, ample evidence that they are true in our own work. Uh, I, can, I can agree with that. Maybe, you know, the, he was um, seeing, seeing many worlds at once, hence, hence the whole bed looking like a gaping maw, and it sort of perhaps there was a world in which you know, there there was this this entity trying to get people to do you know evil things. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that's what happened, and you know, the tramadol was yeah. sort of the catalyst for that. But I think that's a registered trademark. We probably shouldn't be talking. Uh, I, I, no. Or it could I think or it could be generic? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, it's not an advertisement. The painkiller. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, it's interesting that he um, he said that he at that point, uh, under the influence of the medication, uh, had uh, felt that there was a plot against him, and he heard heard about this, uh, implying perhaps uh, even um, while visiting uh, other versions of the of this world, uh, he was aware of these this conversation or this plot. Uh, one does seem to become aware in these situations of things that are happening in our own version of, of the multiverse, in our own corner of the multiverse, as well as for, uh, foreign corners of it, for, for lack of a better term. So, um, <clears throat> I, I think of uh, a phenomenon that we have not talked about a lot. We brought it up several times. As a matter of fact, I, I got uh, the look on your face when I first mentioned it. I, in in oh, our entire yeah. lives together, I'd never mentioned it to you. Well, you know, uh, you, know you always find out new things. Yeah, that's day. true, yeah. Um, on the show, especially. And uh, that was the notion of the flashing nexus, which is my term for it, our term for it, uh, where there are, are flashes of different aspects of your consciousness that occur sometimes but not always in uh, a state of medical trauma uh, such as Adam was describing uh, in a way uh, here in his his letter the but not always again and what what the flashing nexus essentially is is that your consciousness shifts 
from one person or one being to another, you know, all of a sudden you're the doctor or, or you're the nurse, you know, with all their fears and imagination and uh, everything else and all their knowledge, uh, or you're somebody passing by in the hallway or even someone driving by in a car. That was mentioned to me once by someone who experienced this, who was a, a, a professional person who was not given to flights of fancy. So uh, the flashing nexus is just another aspect, I think, of what we've discussed in reference to Adam's situation. But this is this is like an am- amplified version of the flashing nexus. It seems as if um, you know, in in the flashing nexus, it's it seemed th- from that that one story. I mean, obviously, it's going to be different every time. You can't really replicate it um, in in the you know the traditional scientific um, methodical way. But I think I think the interesting thing is how it it manifested here because it just seemed so so surreal and so negative. Well, the funny thing is, too, Ben, that we are, we we are this 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 is reality. This apparently is what life is about: being kind of everybody and everything, like at the same time, and you know, n- n- not to make it a divine. Well, it is a divine experience, really, um, in in some sense. But the thing is, we on the conscious level, if we begin to experience this as Adam did or as somebody with a flashing nexus did, that doesn't sound exactly like the same thing in in his experience, but nevertheless, I think the principle and the process is the same, then we uh, can become very frightened or it it becomes uh, uh, very uh, disheveling to our worldview because we're used to being us and we're used to having relationships with people we know, uh, people we love, with our own families, with our own co-workers. And when it gets beyond that, to start, you know, you have relationships with, uh, well, in, in the case of UFO experiences, uh, aliens in, in their view, uh, parasitical entities in the case of poltergeists, and all that, you start having relationships with uh, some of the beings uh, you and I have met in the, the multiverse uh, work that we, we kind of do. That is true. Then... Um, I mean, we're we're kind of in a sort of awareness where we can deal with that, but most people would end up going to a doctor and saying this, 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 and this, and they said, "Well, you're schizophrenic. You have to get on this, this, or that medication." And you know, maybe that, maybe that's the way it is. I'm not saying people shouldn't be treated uh, for this sort of thing, but uh, on the other hand, it is uh, a natural state, and maybe we don't, we're not aware of all these experiences until. We get to a certain point spiritually, and if we're not ready for it, society considers us crazy. And I think this is um, this is this is unfortunate, or for I don't know. Maybe we're not to the point that in our evolution where we can deal with this. And the people who do are considered major saints or shamans or spiritual leaders of the medicine people or whatever this sort of thing. And we have a caller. It is Phil. Phil. Yes. Hey, Paul. Oh, Phil from Orange, Massachusetts. <laughs> Correct. Hi. Sorry, I see your moment there, my friend. Um, so what, what do you have for us today, Phil? I had a, uh, a comment on the email from the Isle of Wight. Yes. And I would like to point out that during the Vietnam War over there, not here, um, Army um, officials would visit wounded soldiers recovering from severe head trauma and asked them if they would like to volunteer for a program stateside. And if they said yes, they were brought to Fort Meade 
at that point you should know where I'm going with this. That's where the remote viewing experiments were conducted by the Army. Somehow or other, the Army had concluded that damage to certain parts of the brain would, in effect, enable certain people to become more finely sensitized radio receivers. I know it's a terrible analogy, but there are people who think that mind is sort of a a radio, a a receiver. Um, And so I, I mention that in part because whether the damage is physical or whether it's chemical, i.e. from a painkiller, there could be effects that heighten some of our lesser-known abilities. And I, would, uh, I also wanted to mention, sort of in this connection, that I, I don't know if anyone else sees this as a sea change, but in yesterday's New York Times, um, over the fold, front page, um, there was an article um, talking about the government's black UFO program in Utah, which is where the Dugway Proving Ground is. And I mention that because I've been reading the Times for 30 years. I've never seen a UFO article over the fold. Not uh, over the fold. It's, a, it's buried on page you know, A15 a or something. And it's a man-bites-dog story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, it's right. That's the only way they could do it. Yeah. And I, I, I mention it because today, below the fold, there is another article about military sightings, and one of the authors of the article is Leslie Kane. Really? Now, yeah. She's been so a guest I, on the show I, before, yeah. Exactly. Now, she made her bones covering um, Kecksburg, and she's written books on a variety of subjects, and... I'm just connecting a couple dots for you. When the New York Times on consecutive days runs articles on these subjects, something has changed, I think. I think you're right. Um, and uh, I'm not saying that we're anywhere closer to disclosure. Don't get me wrong. I, I wish we were, but I can't go there. But this idea that there are, there are things out there that maybe we are only aware of under certain conditions of, of receptivity, shall we say, um, and some people seem to be more receptive than others. I mean, has it ever occurred to you that, that when you go on your mission to help people with uh, unseen visitors that your radio receiver is more highly tuned than others? I don't know if you want that gift, but you've got it. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I get you. So anyway, yeah, um, the doors of perception and all that, I just thought I'd mention the, the piece about the Vietnam so selection process for yeah. remote viewing. That's um, absolutely and, true. Right, and, and I did watch a, this was a lecture from, in 2008 down at the UFO Congress. One of the participants was able, on a lark, to send his consciousness towards and into a UFO. He was severely reprimanded because he was told and you have to suspend your disbelief here, that if you if you go mucking around like that, they can trap your consciousness, and it won't come back. So that's just sort of a ghoulish thing to say, but I don't know. I mean, I, heard, I listened to you read that email, and I was open. How do we know he didn't see that? Now, and, it's, yeah. and by the way, his countryman is the, the David Icke, you know, 
claims that certain people, if you look closely at their eyes, will turn into reptilian slits. I don't know if he's making that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's some of it has to, just to keep us on the ground here, uh, some of that has to do with the pixelation in video feeds and things of this kind, I think, at, at, at worst. Okay. But, but again, who knows? I mean, the things we've seen. And you've heard our lectures several times uh, in this or that conference, Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the things we've seen, if I hadn't seen them with my own eyes, I never would have believed it uh, in the presence of witnesses, etc. The uh, The only thing with um, uh, experiences like Adams and, and certain others and the flashing nexus and all these things we talk about is that... Um, you really can't pin down precisely what the causes are uh, right. or, or what's really exactly. happening. And as far as the the New York Times, just speaking as an old newspaper man myself, although I wasn't at the Times, I was the Providence Journal, uh, all newspapers right now are suffering. Uh, you know, and you can... Severely. Well, severely, yeah. And, and uh, from everything from the cost of paper down to loss of subscribers, you know, the Internet is taking over very often and... People's as people's news source uh, for better or for worse, and um, there, there may be. And I sat in editorial meetings at newspapers. I used to, I was newspaper editor myself of a small of some couple of small weeklies, and uh, you do, especially the advertising people will tell you you have got to serve the readership, put them even if you think things are something's dumb. Once in a while, put in a story that you think is going to entertain people. So it's it's. Pos- I don't have any connections at the Times anymore, but um, they may have put those stories in just uh, to tweak the interest uh, of um, of of a certain aspect of the readership and to serve that, which is fine. But you're right. Page one, never mind above the fold, is um, is re- it, th- that that grabs my attention. Two days in a row. Two days in a row. Front page. Yes. Okay, well, very good. Well, Phil, thank you, uh, as always. Um, very interesting comments, and uh, call in again. Well, not next two weeks will be reruns, but call in again next year. <laughs> so Keep up the good work, guys. Thank, thank you. you very much. Take care. Okay. Bye. Uh, okay, Phil from Orange, Massachusetts. I was actually, um, I, I, found, I read, I was reading that article. I, I, I checked it out. I was like, is it actually? Yeah. I was like, this is really. Well, actually, I, I, I was reading the one on the Pentagon and, and the program people didn't know, at least some people didn't know existed about. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't read the, the, UFO the, the newest one. Yeah. I, uh, I was trying to find that, but I found the Pentagon one because I was like, oh, that's, that's fascinating. Really? New York Times? I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't think that they'd po- like publish anything like that. That's well, yeah, they ha- I, I've seen, you know, rarely they've, they've mentioned things. Uh, I've seen it less uh, in the, the Globe, which, of course, is owned by the Times now, oh, yeah. um, for some years now. Uh, the the issue, you know, I put it one or two in, in the journal in my day, because that's 30 years ago. But generally, um, the, the entire notion of disclosure, and uh, Phil brought up the D word, as we've said from time to time, uh, at least my opinion is the whole idea of disclosure, which is the idea that at, at some point the government is going to release what it knows about UFOs. Uh, that is, um, I think, somewhat naive. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that still. Yeah, I mean, who believes the government, Right. especially with something like this? Yeah. How do you know that what's released, if anything, is going to be complete? Or is it going to be true? You just don't know this. There there are vast numbers of people out there, uh, (coughs) including uh, our good friend Mr. Bassett, who are out there uh, attempting to get Congress to make the government release 
something, and, and Congress seems to be, you know, it has its own problems right now. <laughs> and uh, so, I don't know, I just, um, we don't seem to be really getting anywhere when it comes to that. And, uh, well, so you take three steps forward, two steps back. Well, the question is, what, I, mean, I mean, you and I are into things that <clears throat> I wouldn't even say on the air as far as uh, what's going on with the UFO uh, situation and uh, where things are happening, uh, unlikely places where research may be taking place. Uh, we and you know stuff we're working on ourselves, but I just I just don't know how much the government knows, as opposed to or at least in conjunction with private industry. People shouldn't forget. It all comes down to bucks. Yeah, really, <clears throat> in our society, and the, the question is, you know, there's a lot of money to be made uh, in industry. From the technology here, and there have been all sorts of stories, and I think some of them are true, about the government working with industry uh, to feed, to seed technology, the whole uh, Colonel Phil Corso business yeah. uh, from the 1940s and 50s, uh, seeding technology to U.S. industry uh, that was uh, obtained by um, from crashed UFOs or alien technology or something like this. I mean, there's no reason to believe that that, that, that couldn't be true. Uh, but again, I think that... Uh, Private industry might know more than the government, or there might be some kind of cabal there. We just we just don't know. And the technique in military intelligence uh, is that you keep people looking the other way. Um, everybody's interested, and everybody loves a mystery, and that's why we don't really know much. Yeah, it's probably more more convoluted and, and darker than we think. Uh, probably yes. Okay, well we're coming up on our break. Uh, why don't we uh, forego our? Qu- Further questions until after the break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, it's an open line show today on ON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Prosnitz. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WOON. It's your business because it is. Okay, and welcome back to an open line show here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240. And we'll get to back, back to our questions in a second, but do, don't neglect uh, to look at the charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, there's a nice new banner ad on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, that will take you down to a number of charities, veterans charities, uh, U.S. and Canadian, also um, uh, Help for Haiti's Orphans, a very, very good charity. Uh, we, uh, I know the people who run it, and we check these charities out very, very carefully to make sure the money goes where they say it's going to go. Uh, so please check that out on our website. We'll mention it also toward the end of the show. Also, give you this is supposed to be an open line show. We uh, always neglect to give our numbers sometimes, though. Uh, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And, Ben, let's go to Facebook. And Facebook. Oh, there's someone there. Uh, we have... Um, a couple of uh, questions. Uh, that it's have come a fax. In. Uh, it's what? It's a fax. A fax. Yeah, okay. It's a fax well, line. maybe it's <laughs> the, just the fax, please. Uh, let's take number one. Bob from uh, where in New York State? Uh, that is Watertown. Watertown, New York. Yes. Okay. So uh, Bob writes to us. Uh, I love the experiences you talk about at uh, Augensburg State Hospital in the 1970s. My father oh. worked there at the time and remembers oh. uh, hearing rumors of some of the things uh, you talk about, like exorcisms. Does the name Ronald H. mean anything to you? Oh, well, I did read this when it came in. 
Yes. Uh, Ronald was a young man who was the uh, subject of one of the exorcisms that that was done there. Now, I didn't do them myself. We we Obviously, I was just a young seminary student, and I was working with uh, Father Lawrence Cotter there, who was a priest who was the exorcist for the Diocese of Augensburg. Um, I, I feel free to mention his name because he's long since retired, and I believe he passed away a few years ago. Uh, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, the, the, this is one of the ones that, that really made me I don't know what question the it was one of the it was this I believe it was the second one I was involved with I was involved with ten three of them on the same person and I just got the impression this is not really what we should be doing I got the impression that uh, Ronald uh, young man he I believe he was about eighteen or nineteen years old um, and, and the, the doctors would deal with these situations only up to a point if they got to the point where things were flying off shelves across the room and obviously not, nothing physically to do with the, with the patient, they would call in Father Cotter uh, if the ducks were sort of lined up that they thought something was going on. Very, very hush-hush, of course. So, yeah, I remember Ronald. Uh, that seemed to be relatively successful, but I just don't know that we were doing the right thing. Uh, you know, sort of coming in with authority, uh, the, the theology, and, and commanding the demon, quote unquote, which I think was a parasite uh, feeding upon the whole thing. And um, I unfortunately was not privy to a lot of information as far as the follow up was concerned. But yeah, I remember Ronald. I remember him well. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if I knew your dad. Uh, too. So, but thank you for writing it. Very interesting. What do we got here, Ben? So we got uh, Jim from uh, New York City, and uh, Jim writes to us. Uh, there was an article a few years ago in the uh, Smoking Gun Research Association newsletter on the uh, Bridgeport case of 1974, <coughs> and he posts an excerpt from it. A 22-page report prepared a year later. Um, by a seminary student who performed the rituals of exorcism at the house quoted Bridgeport uh, police records, which were destroyed years later as part of what the department said was routine maintenance of vintage files. Hmm. Uh, as saying, officers witnessed the refrigerator rise about six inches off the floor, a uh, 21-inch portable television uh, rise off a table and turn around, and objects on shelves uh, vibrate and fall to the floor. Uh, I understand uh, from William J. Hall's book that you were the seminary student mentioned in this. Uh, is this all true? Uh, well, in a word, except for one thing, uh, at no time have I ever performed an exorcism. Yeah, I've read prayers in certain situations, but I was never ordained to the priesthood. And um, th so, it, But that's one of the myths about this case, uh, Bridgeport 1974, that... Uh, that I performed an exorcism, or th that Father Bill Charbonneau, the priest I was with at the time, uh, performed an exorcism. That That's not true either. We were sitting around uh, with Ed Lorraine Warren um, during this case. There were four of us, and we were waiting for the Bishop of Bridgeport, Connecticut, to give permission to do an exorcism. Roman Catholics have a very institutionalized, very highly controlled uh, system of exorcisms. There is... Uh, such as Father Cotter in Augsburg, one priest generally in a diocese or archdiocese, that, which is a, a regional collection of parishes headed by a bishop, uh, who would be trained in their narrow view of the paranormal and would come in and, and uh, work in a situation like that. So I did not do that. That that 
that is incorrect. However, everything else you mentioned uh, is correct. Uh, I saw the refrigerator float in the presence of first responders. Uh, I saw a number of other things. I was personally injured by a flying television set, and I do refer you uh, to two things. Uh, William J. Hall's excellent book, uh, The World's Most Haunted House, which is available in most stores. Uh, also, uh, our own YouTube channel. Uh, we just put up, la- just this past week, a... Um, 20-minute um, exposition on this case. Ben essentially interviewed me, and we have some graphics from that, including one of the copies of one of the police reports uh, from the Bridgeport Police Department on this. Yeah, it and, came up uh, pretty pretty well. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's good. I like the music in the beginning, Ben, too. I made it myself. <laughs> and we opened it differently. Instead of, hi, how you doing, as they say, uh, we essentially started by reading one of the police reports uh, and again, uh, I, I witnessed a lot of this myself, and I was there for the better part of three days. So yeah, all 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 of that is all of that is true, except for the part about me performing an exorcism. Huh, well, okay. fair enough. All right, so let us uh, move on to Lauren, who writes to us from Georgia Tech. Uh, I remember on I remember an old show of yours uh, where you said that an electrical engineer from URI uh, who worked with you said it might actually be possible. Um, to uh, catch a ghost like they do in Ghostbusters. Did you ever do anything with this concept? Well, uh, I, I remember what you're referring to. Uh, that would cost a load of bread to capitalize. No, I'm, I'm quoting from Ghostbusters. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was Dr. Everett Chrisman, uh, a good friend of ours from days of yore. Uh, he uh, speculated after a case uh, he um, accompanied us on many well, it wasn't even us it was me I, Ben you were we lad this is back in the 90s oh yeah it was a while ago yeah that um, and I've lost touch with Everett I don't even know um, hopefully I, I hope he's still with us but in any case I think that he say, he did say that it would be theoretically possible, speaking as an electrical engineer, uh, to um, if if our theories were correct, to electrically uh, limit the spatial, um, I guess, uh, um, um, agility or mobility of an entity of this kind, uh, even if it was physical from a parallel world. Okay, so. I mean, it depends on how many dimensions that it, it lives in, I guess. Well, that that's true. Well, that that's it. By that, I mean, you know, not like oh, dimension as in another world, dimension as in like a like a dimension as in physics. You know, yeah. like think think of it like a cube. I mean, we live in a four dimensional world. What kind of well, five uh, well, four dimensions. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's 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 four dimensions. Yeah. So what what kind of dimension do they possibly do they live in? Well, right. that's true. Yeah. And you and I have seen uh, entities, uh, particularly parasites, working in feeding in several different worlds at the same time, if you will. Right. So, I mean, you'd have to figure out what what kind of space they do live in yeah. to limit it. And that's that's probably the trick is, you know, how do they manifest? Yeah. Which, I mean, you, which we've we've got, like, the basics down. Like, well, we, we know that it's through electromagnetism and probably, you know... Um, the 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 theory of electro I think it's like gravi- gravito electromagnetism which is the yeah. the combined theory of gravity and electromagnetism. So perhaps a succinct way to answer the young lady's question is that we have not done anything with that, and uh, Dr. Chrisman may have been wrong, uh, considering what Ben just said that these creatures uh, may may not be spatially containable because of multiversal boundaries. They may be in several different worlds at the same time. We saw that in the Haunted Policeman of Vermont case. Oh, yeah. I saw it in the the King of Prussia, Pennsylvania case in 04, and a number of others 
where they're feeding on some really negative event that's going on, not not in our world, but in a version of our world that's different. And then they can't get enough, and that they, they'll go into somebody's house here that we can see, feed on that, and also feed on on, on parallel people living in the house, that, 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 and they think each other is a ghost, and they're just people living in different versions. You know, it's, it really gets gets wild here. Cause, yeah, I I suppose if if string theory is true that there are you know, 11 dimensions that would suggest that there are beings who live in between those one <clears throat> to 11 dimensions. Because if we take up four dimensions, then how many dimensions do they take up? Well, th- just to point out that, that the dimensions would be in our physical mu- part of the multiverse. I mean, yeah, that's what it, I mean. It, we use parallel worlds and dimensions as interchangeable terms. That's not, yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, I'm trying to yeah. get away from that because. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's, everybody does it. We even do it sometimes, but it's I don't not mean to. Technically no, I, correct. I think of the mathematical meaning of dimension and the yeah. fi- the physics meaning of dimension, not like it's yeah. a being from another dimension. Right, right, right. Because uh, w- within parallel worlds are dimensions. There may be, uh, since, since all things that are possible or are conceivable ex- are, are conceivable because they do exist. You could have worlds with two dimensions. As a matter of fact, was it William Hope Hodgson or, or, or one of the uh, early writers of the uh, early 20th century who uh, wrote about that sort of thing in fiction? Oh, like yeah. You, had, you know, two-dimensional worlds where you know everybody isn't, would, would not know what to do. They'd think you're crazy if you talked about a third dimension. Not never, never mind a fourth, right? So anyway, th- these things are are conceivable. So so in other words, uh, no, we haven't done anything with that. Yeah, concept. Uh, I don't know if it would even work. Okay, who's next there, Ben? Uh, we have uh, Kitty from uh, Needham, Mass, who uh, writes to us. Uh, in reading your books and hearing your shows, it seems that you two have a lot of talent and experience in paranormal affairs, but they are very different talents. Uh, I wanted to ask Ben. Have your talents and abilities changed as you got older? Uh, I guess what I'm asking is, have you lost the ability to talk to trees as you as you went through school and became an adult? If so, uh, how did how did they change, and do you feel it was for the better or not? Huh. Now, that's actually a really good question. Interesting question. I've, I've never gotten that before. Well, um, you see, the mundane modern world uh, isn't really that great. <laughs> it's not very <laughs> fun, and it's not and very... That's what we make of it, then. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's I I I've had a lot of responsibility thrown at me very quickly. So it's so I I wouldn't say that the talents are are gone. I I would say that they've changed as I've gotten older because you know, you get older, you get you gain experience and you look at things differently. You know, you go th- you go through the normal day to day and you know, maybe you'll notice a couple things out of place, but it's like mostly you just turn it off. I was told by one of my mentors um, a long time ago, because I actually had this question. I was like, well, did talents change and go away? And he was like, well, yes and no. It's like, you know, it sort of goes on the back burner. And, you know, when you need it, it'll be there. Mm. And, you know, he's like, he's like, once you once you pretty much have it, you kind of have it for life, whether you like it or not. I agree not. with that, yeah. It's like, you know... Um, uh, my my mother, for example, is is very sensitive to things, and you know she al- always has been. She doesn't like to talk about it, and, but like you know she'll she'll say some things from time to time, and like you know, like event uh, essentially saying that you know you'll you can keep these things for the rest of your life. You know, it's kind of a part of who you are. Whether you whether hear you like about it or this, not. She's, she's probably listening. No, I know. I'm just no, but it's, no, she, she's aware. We talked about this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, mom mom is a great woman. And, yes, a, and a, a very large influence on my life. 
So, I mean, you know, she essentially always told me that you can live in the world but not be of the world. So, you know, I, I sort of keep everything close close at hand. I like to keep my cards close to the vest. And I, um, you know, I, I sort of break them out when I need to. And it doesn't happen very often, usually on cases and stuff, because I don't really have time to, like, you know, focus on stuff when I'm at work. You know? <laughs> so whatever you do, don't play poker with Ben. No, do not. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, interesting question. Interesting. Uh, what, what did uh, Professor Gaswami say? Ask wonderful question, get, get wonderful, wonderful answer. answer. Yeah, yeah. I guess last week. Okay, uh, there's one from Jeff here. Yeah, I think we got time for this. Yeah. Uh, do not know where Jeff is from, but he heard me on a recent podcast with our good friend Martin Willis. Okie doke. So uh, Jeff writes to us. Hi, Paul and Ben. I heard you mostly on Podcast UFO with Martin Willis, and I'm interested to know more about the shadow people phenomenon and the entities that are uh, believed to uh, feed on negative emotions. Which of your books and others uh, can provide some reasonable insight into uh, this current of thinking on this? Great work, by the way. I hope you keep it up. Well, that's very nice. Thank you, Jeff. Um, the... Well, because the books, I mean, the, we'll talk about the books toward the end of the show. Uh, you, you can get them, get some of them in stores. You can get all of them autographed at BehindTheParanormal.com at our online bookstore. Uh, probably the best, just to answer your, 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 your final question, the, probably the best one uh, might be face, uh, I should say, f- uh, Footsteps in the Attic. That's uh, one, of our mo- one of my most popular books, uh, that that will tell you a number of cases, but you know, by by way of illustration of what our concept is on that. Also, uh, our, our second most recent book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know Is Wrong. You can get that at stores. Uh, that has uh, several cases and a lot of background on how this might work. Um, the shadow people. We don't really bring in the concept of shadow people as such. Uh, that's a term coined by our good friend Heidi Hollis relatively recently, uh, but it, it, is, it, is a, it is an apt term. People will see shadowy figures in their uh, rooms at night, this kind of thing. And uh, there have been several cases where people have seen uh, diminutive or short shadowy figures, almost like children, running around in their kitchens uh, when they have not been asleep. This, I'm thinking particularly of the uh, case here in Burrowville, Rhode Island, that, that uh, went on, started in 1998. Now, you came in on it many years later when you joined me. Oh, yeah. Because we work for cases uh, on cases for years. Uh, and they, they were prominent in that, and, of course, it was a parasite case. Uh, so I'd suggest... Um, uh, either faces uh, footsteps in the attic or uh, behind the paranormal, everything you know is wrong. For information on that, uh, however, j- just to, to talk a little bit about it uh, without you having to read the book, uh, the question is: uh, sh- shadow people or, or these dark figures uh, are also accompanied by other. I think they're archetypal figures. In other words, that they they pop up in many different cultures, and they seem to be part of our makeup as human beings, and in the whole experience of the human race, that they do tend to pop up in one form or another. Uh, one is a very innocent one. Uh, in my, in it, it can be cultural too. Uh, in the West, uh, Europe, and America, people often see the little girl, very often with blonde hair, and very often with uh, flowers in her hair. Now, what could be more reassuring or cute or whatever than a little girl with flowers in her hair? But uh, these often turn out to be parasites. And we find out that uh, they will 
they're very intelligent creatures. They're not spirits or anything, uh, servants of Satan. They're, they're multiversal creatures, part of nature. And somebody uh, in an earlier note to us used the term supernatural. I think that might have been Adam. But uh, I, I don't think there is anything that's supernatural. There, there is undiscovered science. There is undiscovered nature. But all these things, weird and bizarre and crazy and frightening or, or moving as they may be, they're all part of nature. Uh, parasites are part of nature. They, they, they eat like any other creature. They have to sustain themselves, and they simply do it by preying upon us and the negative energy we produce. That That's what it really seems to be. So sometimes they will manifest as shadow people. Sometimes they will manifest as um, almost like a monstrous creature. Anything that they think will push your buttons. Mm. And uh, they learn. They are very intelligent. They're about... Uh, Nine different species. Uh, these are all. This is what we really believe is is uh, absolute true. That we believe this is as real as it gets. Uh, they are major players in the human experience. One wonders if they can do what we've seen them do to families or to individuals. What can they do, as we've often said, in the halls of government? How much sustenance could they get from war? from the horrible things people can do to each other. Yeah. But they seem to be repelled when people are at their best and do beautiful things for each other. They, they just, that's what we tell people. If you want to defend yourself against these things, simply love your family, fulfill your responsibilities, come together with other people, stand shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand, whatever, and th- th- they can't, th- that doesn't put out anything they can eat. And that's the best way I, I can uh, figure to put it. So the question about shadow people is, are they always uh, in the indicative of parasitical entities, or uh, could they be simply other people going about their daily lives, uh, seen through the membranes of, and physicists actually call them membranes or brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, uh, of parallel worlds? Uh, and I think that very, although usually we see that, you know, you, you see quote unquote ghosts as glowing figures or even, uh, and I've even seen uh, parasitical entities as, as glowing figures. And I knew they were parasites. Uh, perhaps, uh, depending on the nature of the world boundary, because it, it, it's essentially a, a plasma, electrically charged boundary of some kind. And you often will see, uh, creatures that may look quite different in their own worlds as what we would uh, in our folklore would think of as a ghost because you know what else we didn't know about our quantum physics back in the middle ages presumably we did before that because indigenous peoples will tell you all about it yeah so maybe uh, we would think of them as necessarily having to be the spirits of dead people what else could they be so <clears throat> the question is um I, we we take it one case at a time and we will approach it depending on what the fruits are of what the entity is doing uh, is it what it claims to be? Is it is is it bringing negativity into people's lives? Are they doing something negative's going to feed it? And uh, we ask, and I think Shane Searway, who's not with us, to be back with us uh, next open line show, puts it very well. And I, matter of fact, I asked this question the other night because I was out on a case uh, with with uh, one of our colleagues, and I said, okay, th- this has been going on for. All right, uh, three years, but you've lived here for six years. What changed three years ago that was negative that may, may have re- rung the dinner bell for this thing and brought it in and you're feeding it? And uh, the answer was, well, he had a really, really messy breakup. And we often will see that. Whenever you've got a really messy stuff going on in your life, it sends out negative energy and rings the dinner bell for these things. Pretty much. And you're a hot lunch. Yeah. 
Th- that's really how it works. Uh, so th- these are things that, that we ask. So shadow people, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. They may or may not be good or bad. And uh, th- that brings up one, I think we've got time for one final comment here. Sure. Uh, someone had written in, uh, I didn't, I don't have it, but someone had written in, uh, is Mothman good or bad? Actually, several people have done it because that's come up. Uh, the Mothman phenomena of the 1960s, that, that, that's, uh, there's a whole chapter on that in our uh, most recent book, Behind the Paranormal 2, uh, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, uh, that you can get um, online. And we have... Uh, there were a number of people who would say that when this this creature would appear in the Ohio Valley, particularly of the United States, in the mid 1960s, people would be scared to death. It was very tall, very scary looking, very alien looking. Uh, would fly uh, without flapping wings. Would chase people and this sort of thing. Uh, but on the other hand, it had glowing red eyes. There, there are several people we've spoken with who had very positive things happen in their lives after encountering Mothman. So, uh, but again, it, we have to look at our terms. Mothman, uh, th- that's a term that, that the press came up with to describe this creature. Uh, or creatures. Uh, they may not be the same creature. Um, there have been several uh, people who essentially considered Mothman. They saw it in its classic form in the 60s in the Ohio Valley. And I remember one, Andy Colvin particularly, ta- talking about how he uh, suddenly became, he could, he could do math. Uh, he got great marks in school. He got a full boat scholarship to Harvard. And he never could have done that before. And he credits Mothman with that, whom he says he still communicates with. So uh, I think that that's that's pretty cool. Ben, do you have any uh, further thoughts on anything we've uh, discussed today? Um, I think it's interesting, the idea that, you know, Mothman is sort of an a- amoral figure. I don't, I don't hmm. think it's... I think it's unfair, like, for much, much like... Um, people putting human traits on, you know, uh, extraterrestrials. Right. I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to do the same thing to uh, Mothman or cryptids, really, because we can't we can't know like what their what their true motives are or what they're attempting to do. We can guess. I mean, we can guess by its behavior and you know what what it's done, which is you know scare the daylights out of people. Mm-hmm. But Really, that that could just be from you know people not understanding it because it's it is really creepy looking, but you yeah. know sometimes it's the, different. You know, sometimes people are just afraid of what's different. Yeah, exactly. Which you know kind of would explain how people ha- have you know either good and yeah, bad. This is a survival instinct. Yeah, you know, you know, you don't know what something is. It could kill you. You don't, you know, exactly. Might you turn know? out to be good, but you don't know that. Yeah, yet. I mean, you know, it's like uh, spiders, right? You know, uh, uh, there's there's seven things that people fear, you know, universally throughout the world, no matter what culture it is, you know, whether it's tribal or, you know, modern civilization. It's always, well, it's actually, there's three things specifically. People, a lot of people have a fear of heights, fear of snakes, and fears of spiders, because all three of those things can kill you. I mean, even if, you know, the snake that isn't venomous or, you know... Even if the spider isn't venomous, you know, we're terrified of them because they could kill you. Mm. But, you know, it's not like they're bad. You know, they're just doing spidery things and doing sneaky things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, a thought to uh, to end uh, our show and start our uh, announcements there, Ben. 
Yes, so you can uh, check us out on uh, Saturday, January 27th. Uh, that is our first public event of the new year. It is a charity event uh, at uh, Cottage by the Bay in Dover, New Hampshire, to benefit the uh, Miss Portsmouth Area Scholarship Program. And that's 5 to 8 p.m., uh, $20 uh, per ticket, and that is per person. Uh, and you will get not only us, but a nice uh, buffet dinner. And the subject will be... Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. So get the tickets through the link on our BehindTheParanormal.com page. Well, gift-giving time has arrived, so please consider autographed copies of our books for that certain special but weird someone in your life. Uh, The books are cheap and easy to wrap, so go for it. Uh, They're widely available, but if you order them online at either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, we'll be happy to autograph them for you, and they will be, if you do with the next few days, they'll certainly be there in time for Christmas. So don't forget, uh, these books include the first two in our Behind the Paranormal series, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, which was published last year, available in stores and online retailers, retailers as well. Uh, then there's Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, uh, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of, uh, currently available from online retailers and from Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. Also available are books I wrote myself in Days of Yore, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, which we mentioned, uh, about my cases from the 1970s and 80s, along with Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, with a few more cases and a broad look at what the paranormal right might really mean. Having nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with any of that is Rhode Island, A Genial History, which I wrote uh, some years ago with the great, uh, late great reporter and historian Glenn Laxton. Uh, that is available on those sites as well. Uh, also available, again, too, at our bookstore. And to round it off, you can get uh, books that feature us, or at least one of us, uh, but we did not write them. Uh, those are via the le- links at our online bookstore. Those include The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street, which is uh, also our newest uh, YouTube case file video. Mm-hmm. You can check that out at uh, uh, Behind the Paranormal, uh, our YouTube channel. You can find that via our Facebook. And yes, we do have a Facebook and uh, also our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And don't forget the Haunted House Diaries, the true story of a quiet Connecticut town in the center of a uh, paranormal mystery, mm-hmm. both brought to you by William J. Hall. Uh, then there are books I wrote some of, uh, or that we at least appear in, but you never know that by their wild and crazy cover designs. These include The Bell Witch Project, UFO Repeaters, and Beyond Amityville, The Lore of the Poltergeist, published by Global Communications, and our good friend and sometime co-host, Timothy Green Beckley. So shock your workers, co-workers, fool your great-grandparents, and amaze Stephen Hawking by visiting the online bookshop at BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com. And that's not the uh, only reason to visit those jarring websites. Uh, there uh, you can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and you can find over 730 free recorded shows from both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio along with special shows and podcasts. And if you dare, you can te- check out our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files, which we will be expanding very, very soon with a team of great, like-minded individuals who are all very creative and amazing people, I may add. Right. Uh, also on our websites, uh, the charities we mentioned, don't don't neglect to check that, uh, usacares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Youth Mentoring Connection, uh, and HelpForHaiti.com. Uh, wonderful charities. Check them out. Uh, what do we got next, um, 
next week. This, this is our last live broadcast of 2017 because we've oh, got wow. two reruns coming up. That's right. Yeah, because yeah, because they both fall on su- both yeah, the they fall on Sunday, Christmas Eve, and New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah. All right, so for the next two Sundays, which most uh, can inconveniently are Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, uh, we will bring you reruns. So next Sunday, December twenty fourth, you can hear our uh, December twenty first, twenty fifteen broadcast of the Paranormal Holidays, and uh, after that, on December thirty uh, first or thirty yes thirty first, we'll uh, rerun our spectacular live broadcast with the great luminaries of the of the UFO field. Uh, from the uh, 2017 Exeter UFO Festival on September 3rd. Uh, so we will see you, or well, we will uh, hear, or you'll hear us live in the studio on uh, Sunday, January 7th at noon. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.